In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here as always with my co-host, executive producer, video producer, Mike Graham. That's me. I'm here. I'm sitting in a chair. I'm ready to go. This is going to be a good one. And I'm I'm super excited. <laughs> we haven't recorded in a little while. We were able to to bank an episode for the holiday week last week. That's right. So happy belated Thanksgiving and holidays to you and your family, Mike. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, we had a really good holiday. We got to see the families eat way too much food, as I hope you did as well. What did you do? Oh, yes. Always lots of food. We had multiple Thanksgivings and multiple meals and multiple activities over the course of several days. So in some ways still in recovery. You went traveling, right? You actually like drove somewhere. I am lucky enough to be in driving distance of both sides of my family. So we sort of do one Thanksgiving with one side of the family and then travel and do another Thanksgiving a couple of days later, which is uh, disastrous for (laughs) health and sleep quality, but very enjoyable. (laughs) Yeah. We used to do four we used to have four Thanksgivings. Oh, wow. Yeah, because uh, my mom and then my dad and then both of her sides as well. So we had four Thanksgivings and then four Christmases, and it was insanity. So we've actually gotten it down now to where we do two on Thanksgiving, and then we just go back and forth between Christmas each year. So it's it's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know, you, you change format over time. You kind of find what works the best for everybody. Right, right. And that actually gets me thinking about... so. This is our 10th episode, and last week we did release psychiatric hospitalization in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and we we kind of had a little bit of a different thing going. We had a guest host come on, and we're kind of wondering what people thought about that, uh, having a third party, a different perspective. Um, We're definitely hoping, if you guys are listening to the show, if you listen on iTunes, head over to iTunes and give us a review. But... Just even come on our Facebook at Pop Psych 101 and, and let us know what you thought of that episode and the kind of switch up and dynamic. Yeah, because that's certainly something that we can make happen more frequently if people are into it. If people get bored of just the sultry sounds of you and I's voice. <laughs> I don't know, Ryan. People love this this high, <laughs> like weird, scratchy voice I got going on. I'm sure they do. Well, that's what we want to find out with reviews. So if you hate my voice, please let us know in reviews if you love it and you love all the things he's doing with our audio and video around the internet. Please let us know that as well. Right, right. And speaking of my voice, Ryan, I want to lay something on you because of the episode. I want to lay this little thing I got on you. Please. All right. You ready? I can't wait. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What'd you think of that? Well, I think it's appropriate as <laughs> as we sort of acknowledge what we're covering today, which is the iconic, in a lot of ways, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yep, yep. And iconic both in film and in soundtrack. I mean, so the the oh yeah is is right on cue with I think a lot of our feelings <laughs> about <laughs> about this movie. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about it and and really overanalyzing it because it's what's fun about doing a comedy is that we can 
we can kind of play around with all the different ways we can interpret what we're seeing. That's right. That's right. And I'm, I'm really happy that we're doing one that's a little lighter. We've gotten deep. We've gotten sad. And we need to have a comedy episode. So hopefully we can do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I make no promises. Therapists can only keep things so light. You're an improviser, so. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I mean, I, there's ways for me to keep it comedic without forcing <laughs> lightness, per se, because I have some some dark views on this movie. Uh-oh. But I'll try to, to sprinkle in some lightness as well. All right. Well, you ready? Let's do it. Oh, yeah. It is a beautiful day in Chicago today. Temperatures expected to reach the upper 70s. Right now, 75 at the lakefront, 74 at Midway, 73 at O'Hare, and now, up in the sky, Don Nelson Ferris. with Skyview traffic. Thanks for Ferris. We've got a scores of Tom! What's the matter? Oh, it's Ferris. What? What's wrong? What's wrong? For Christ's sake, look at him, honey. Ferris? He doesn't have a fever, but he says his stomach hurts and he's seeing spots. What's the matter, Ferris? Papa? Honey, feel his hands. They're cold and clammy. Mm. I'm fine. I get up. No. 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 I have a test today. No. <sighs> I have to take it. I, I want to go to a good college so I can have a fruitful life. Honey, you're not going to school like this now. Oh, fine. What's this? What's his problem? He doesn't feel well. Yeah, right. Dry that one out, you can fertilize the lawn. Jeannie? Is that you? Jeannie? I can't see that far. Jeannie? Jeannie, I... Bite the big one, Junior. Thank you, Jeannie. You get to school. Today, we are talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a 1986 teen comedy directed by John Hughes and starring Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller, a wildly popular, gnarly high school senior and the film's titular character. Alan Ruck is Cameron Fry, a keyed-up teen knowing for blowing a microchip or two in Ferris's best friend. Jennifer Grey as Jeannie, the forgotten child and sister to Ferris. Mia Sarah as Ferris's girlfriend Sloan and Jeffrey Jones as evil, vindictive, and overbearing Dean of Students, Edward Rooney. The movie. Ferris is sick and can't go to school. Or is he? Actually, Ferris is faking it. We watch as Ferris zip-zops and skit-scats his way into fooling his parents into believing he's sick and can't go to school. His sister Jeannie, however, does not dig the vibes that Ferris is laying down. Whoa! Because Ferris is such a rad dude, his parents give him a hang tin and let him stay home. The problem is, this is Ferris's ninth sick day in his senior year, and he's gonna be held back if it's discovered and he is caught. What a bummer! He enlists his best friend Cameron and his girlfriend Sloan to join him on his wacky adventure through downtown Chicago. However, all is not right in the world of Ferris. The lame, Dean of Students, Mr. Rooney, is busting his hump and trying to track down and prove that Ferris is faking it. Ferris and his gang experience some crazy hijinks while the town rallies around Ferris and hopes that he gets well soon. In the end, his sister Jeannie, who's been trying to catch Ferris just like the Dean, 
proves that she is one cool chica and lies to Dean Rooney just as he is about to nail Ferris and catch him red-handed. Our hero prevails, vanquishes his foes, and lives to fake sick another day. Save Ferris. Wow. <laughs> Well, well, there I, there it is. As a child of the 80s, I appreciate the multitude of references and attitude that you really brought to that synopsis, Mike. Well, I, lay, I left one out. I actually had it in there. And as I was reading it, I said, uh, I can't do that one. I, I don't think it's fitting. And that one, because I don't think we're ever going to do the movie that it's actually from, is Cowabunga. Oh, uh, we can find a reason. <laughs> Raphael, yeah, yeah, sure. that's a Teenage yeah, yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles reference. Anger management, absolutely. But yeah, so thank you for that that wonderful synopsis of Welcome. of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So here we are talking about a comedy. I don't know if this is technically the first time, but this is certainly the the most comedic movie sure, we've sure. talked about so far. Yeah, we did Lars in The Real Girl, which is comedic. Yeah, dark comedy. And we've done a couple of dark comedies, but this one is definitely just a straight comedy. We have to preface a lot of the things we talk about with this. We know this is a comedy and the directors and writers are not necessarily intending to portray mental health issues. Nonetheless. Nonetheless. Yeah, nonetheless, it's an opportunity for us to say what type of people are being portrayed in popular media and what can we learn from the, I guess, behavior or different symptoms that they might exhibit that that could be examples of mental illness or issues that other people may experience. Right. And I did kind of want to chime in and say this episode here was inspired by something that I witnessed. And I kind of went to Ryan and just had some general questions about something that was going on. I wouldn't even say real life, but online, something that I was witnessing. And so questions popped up around that. And I said, I'd really like to cover this subject. I didn't even know what it was. So that being said, Ryan Ferris, what are we looking at with him? He's faking it. He's already on 10 days or he's going on 10 days about to get kicked out of school or be held back a grade. What, what are we kind of looking at here today? And, and we're going to put a bookmark in the experience that you had, because I do want to come back to that, because as I researched some of these conditions, if we call them that, mm -hmm. I discovered something that is the exact description of what you discovered. So, okay. Oh, exciting. We're going to come back to that. So with Ferris Bueller, we're sort of hyper-focusing on this individual behavior of, as we said, faking illness in an attempt to get out of going to school. And also what he ends up experiencing over the course of the movie, which is possible financial gain, Obviously, there's some social benefit that he experiences as a result of faking this illness and exaggerating the symptoms that he's experiencing. So this behavior, this symptomatology that we're looking at is known as malingering. Malingering. Yeah. So you said that. And normally we title our episodes very specifically. But when I said, what is this thing happening? And you said malingering. I just went, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so what is malingering? So malingering essentially is the, the fabricating of symptoms that could be mental health related or physical related for a variety of reasons, but often includes financial gain, avoidance of school or responsibilities or work or military service, obtaining drugs in some cases. Um, so like going to the doctor because you want pain medication. Oh, wow. You fake your malinger um, symptoms like that. 
or even you'll see people fake symptoms of psychosis to avoid uh, sentencing in criminal cases. So there's a lot of really interesting dynamics to why people do these kinds of things. Okay. And as I was doing my researching on malingering, I came across that is focused on the two main ones was criminal cases and people trying to, you know, claim insanity to get out of whatever punishment they're going to receive. And then the military. Yeah. So those seem to be the big ones. And the first question before we jump right, right into Ferris, I wanted to ask you and to see if you knew anything about was, as I was reading about all this stuff, it says that malingerers are incredibly hard to catch is what I've been reading. And, and it's really important to find a malingerer, but that it's super hard to actually say when it's happening. It's true. And it's because like Ferris talks about in the sort of inter- introductory monologue, they, they often choose symptoms that are hard to, to diagnose, to prove. So I'll, 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 up top, I'll say that, you know, the sort of most commonly feigned symptoms are things like head pain, head injury, headache, things like fibromyalgia, which is essentially just like shooting pains in your body, chronic fatigue, chronic pain, the mental illness that's most often feigned are things like anxiety or post-traumatic stress symptoms. Oh, not cool. So absolutely not cool. Not cool, dude. Yeah. But there's a reason that people choose these symptoms is that some of them are the easiest to claim without proof. Right, because it's one of these things that they can't just run, you know, an MRI or a CAT scan right. or a blood test. Yeah, so Ferris says, I'm seeing spots. You know, it's like, okay, what is a parent supposed to do with that? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. And, and I, I would love to talk about the parent's response, but we'll get into that. But yeah, so he chooses intentionally these symptoms that are not necessarily going to land him in the doctor's office, but are severe enough to remove responsibility or, as he does, sort of get rewarded for in some cases. Yeah, and he actually mentions that. So in the beginning of the movie, this thing starts right off with Ferris sick in his bed, quote, sick, and his parents standing over him and looking at him like he's this dying man on his deathbed. And he's, you know, "Uh, uh, I don't feel good. So he's the two things I was going to ask you about that really stuck out to me in this scene was one, like you were just talking about the symptoms he decides to portray to his parents to get his 10th day off of school. He specifically picks the symptoms out so that it doesn't push him into the hospital. He says, I can't say I have a fever because then you might end up in the doctor and and then therefore he's not going to get what he wants out of it, which is a fun day off school. And then the other being the fact that he had a like patented technique, like I said in the synopsis, for doing this. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, in real malingering, is this a common thing? Do people work out a surefire way to get this accomplished? Are they avoiding doctors like in, in really just looking for something for them? Are they actually wanting to end up being in the hospital a lot? There's some shades of gray and there are parallel diagnoses that we can also talk about that sort of resemble malingering. But in in Ferris's case, as you mentioned, the planned out nature, you know, that's not always how it starts out. But for people who are able to, over time, recognize the either financial or emotional gain Mm. that they get from fabricating the symptoms... Yes, it becomes a more and more 
procedural dedicated process of, you know, this is what I say. These are the things that I pretend that I have. And I know that this is the way that people are going to react to me. What is the goal then of malingering or faking it? Like what would be the end goal for someone that whether or not they started doing it on purpose or not, but they end up realizing that they're going to get these things, but like, what would be the end goal, I guess? So, right. And, and I, this, the things that I mentioned up top, it's either that you're getting out of something that you don't want to do, or you are getting something that you do want, whether that's a reduced criminal hit sentence, financial gain in, in the cases of fraud, which, which are some other common examples. Wait, I mean, so that's entirely the reason then. Yes, absolutely. It's you're, you're faking symptoms for gain of something. Just thinking about that, my question would be most mental health issues that are real diagnosable things are in, it's called, I think, the DSM-5. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like the book of illnesses, right? Essentially, the, the sort of handbook that therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, counselors use to categorize symptoms and come up with a diagnosis for their patients. Okay. And I guess I'm just wondering, is, is like malingering actually listed in that one? So what you're going to see with malingering is what we call a Z code, which is essentially not a primary diagnosis, but it could be a factor or a, a something that, that is prevalent enough to treat, but it's not necessarily the main issue. And the reason being that malingering is often a, a sign of some other problem going on. As I mentioned, you know, the, if the person's malingering to get drugs, presumably they have a substance abuse problem. Yeah. If they're malingering to avoid, let's say, work or military service, maybe they've experienced some trauma within that place that they are, are malingering to avoid a traumatic situation. So we want to treat the trauma. If they're malingering to avoid school, maybe it's because of bullying or because of parental pressure. You know, they're always underlying factors that would encourage this type of behavior. So a malingerer is not necessarily a lazy person. Like this isn't motivated by laziness. Right. And obviously the caveats with this are that there are absolutely people who just straight malinger essentially as a crime, you know, whether it's for fraud or to, to get out of criminal sentencing. Like those are just people who use this as a tactic to get what they want. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't also have, you know, stuff in their background that are, that's really problematic, but there are people who just do this for bad reasons. You had mentioned the parents coming up to take it back to Ferris. Uh, like I said, we're in the beginning of the movie. He's, he's faking it. He's got his list. He's working out. And the first thing that jumped out to me in the movie, as far as people's reactions and things going on around him were his parents basically being like... I don't know, just believing him off the bat, even though this is the 10th time this year, it seems like it's probably been an ongoing thing. They just have no question. They just, yeah, they just completely support him and are, are very sympathetic and want him, you know, to feel better and don't really even go through the trouble to check and make sure he's sick and get him to school to take care of his responsibilities. Is, is that a common thing or, or what did you think about that? Well, it is common in some senses that they are <laughs> super enablers is the way okay. I would describe them. To your point, they don't uh, really question his behavior. They don't take him to the doctor. 
They don't even give him a thermometer to actually check his temperature, which would be like the first thing I would think most parents would do. Yeah. You know, all these standard interventions for my child is sick, just like completely glossed over. And it just brings me back to our original conversation before we decided to do this episode. And and one of the things you mentioned was that malingerers are often very likable people who get people on their side with like kindness and charm yeah yeah and charm so i i was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit is, is i mean if it being common or not oh 100 percent. you know and ferris does this to a t in these initial interactions that we see with his parents you know the sort of baby voice to his mummy and daddy Ugh. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's horrible i hated it, it it is it's so manipulative because we the audience know that he's not really sick so we see him doing these things only an attempt to get his parents to to walk away and to go to work. So Ferris is is putting in these little verbal cues or manipulative cues to throw his parents off the scent. And they take it hook, line, and sinker. Really, for the most part, everybody does. Everybody that doesn't right. see the fact that he's not sick is just like, oh, man, that's so terrible. Yeah. Oh, oh, Ferris, did you hear? He's dying. Yeah. And because as you find out, as the movie goes forward is that he is incredibly like popular and well liked yep. by all groups. Yeah, I love that secretary's line about, you know, all the different groups of people that just love him. The wasteoids and the yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dorks and the dweebs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everyone really likes Ferris and and just support him in this, but there are two characters in the movie that do not support Ferris. And one being his younger sister, Jeannie. And the other being the Dean of Students, Mr. Rooney, who's played. Oh, man, I love I love the actor who does him. He does it so well. But these people are played as villains in the movie. And from the perspective that we're looking at this to talk about this today, you know, I just ended up feeling bad for him because, A, the Dean of Students is, you know, Ferris deserves to be reprimanded for if he's ditching school 10 times. And and doing it in a faking way. And then his sister, who I probably felt more more um, poorly for, I suppose, all this sympathy and love is being shown to Ferris. And it seems like she she feels forgotten, which is why I mentioned that when I was reading the synopsis. Sure. Yeah. And I I'm I'm less sympathetic for the principal <laughs> than I am for the sister. Sure. But yeah. And I think this is this is common with malingerers and and perhaps is echoed in the experience you had in the online forum where there are people that sort of rush in to help and to believe and to support people who uh, claim illness or, or, or different symptoms. And then there are people that are like, wait a second, like, what's going on here? Like, is everyone just buying this person's story? Why are we all doing this? You know, the sort of questioner, the, the skeptic, right, which is really his sister. And I, I want to take a second, and, and this maybe will be an ongoing segment, especially for comedies. Uh-oh. We'll call it Overanalyzing with Ryan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do, should I play some music here? Like some like... Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because it was watching this now as a therapist, like I don't remember last time I saw this this movie, but the family dynamic that's at play here is fascinating because... The different characters really fit some very familiar, what we call like dysfunctional family roles, especially so 
if you uh, study or work in the field of addiction, it's very common for family members of the addict to take on these familiar roles. So, um, so real quick, the six roles are the hero, the scapegoat, the mascot, the caretaker, the lost child, and of course the addict. Okay. So as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, oh man, now there are, uh, four people, you know, in the, the main family and we can easily identify, you know, the two parents are both caretakers who we typically think of as enablers, you know, they, they cover up problems and responsibilities to keep everyone happy. The parents are very similar in that regard. Oh yeah. Easily. Yes. And the dad, I do have to point out when he's talking to Ferris on the phone and he says, love you buddy. And he punches the air. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And the sister is what we think of as the lost child. You know, she's the quiet one of the family kind of flies under the radar while other family members are kind of uh, given more attention. Yeah. So, so she absolutely is the lost child. You know, she, she tries to point out to the parents, like, really, you guys are buying this. And they don't even look at her in that scene, it feels like. I know. She's not even acknowledged, really. It's like she's not there. Right. She's not there. So she would be what we think of as the lost child. And then we come to Ferris. And there's different ways for, for me to think about this. We could think of him as the addict in the sense that he's like a social recognition addict or he's an addict of like. Uh, thrill seeker addict, you know, or maybe he's just like hasn't found his drug yet. There's a lot of different ways for us to view this, but and I'm going to blow your mind in terms of okay. my my perspective on this. Okay, hold on. We got to say it really overthinking with Ryan Inglestad. My theory <laughs> on this movie, overanalyze as I overanalyze it, is that Ferris is actually the mascot, which is what we think of as like the comedian of the family, the person that uses sort of humor and 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 sarcasm or silliness to lessen the stress caused by the addict's behavior. Oh, wow. I think my theory is that we do not see the third child and that there is a third child either that we don't ever see in the movie or he's just like an addict on the streets of Chicago and is unmentioned the whole family. Oh, my God. Because... I just got chills. Well, well... Why would the family be so uh, enabling of their next in line, right? Right. They want him to be successful. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. They're going to support him no matter what he's doing in order to continue like pushing him forward. Exactly. Huh. Well, yeah, yeah, no. Okay, so mind blown. Did you see any like evidence like around the house? So the only re- and the other reason I say this is that house is freaking huge. The <laughs> yeah, idea that there are only three bedrooms in that house, I do not buy. Okay, so we have a third child theory by Ryan. <laughs> that is my theory. I'm sticking <laughs> to it. Okay, overthinking with Ryan Inglestad. Okay, so a couple of questions I thought were really important were we, we talked sort of up top there about how it, it's hard to spot a malingerer, but as a therapist, have you had someone who's dealing with this that actually went to seek help about this and talk through and figure out? And if so, like, what does that look like? I guess the best way to answer this question is that I don't know because I have had people that I've worked with who have had, let's say, consistent complaints of medical symptoms. You know, as a therapist, the sort of most you can do in cases like this is to 
encourage that they get medical care for the symptoms that they're identifying. You know, I can't force anyone to get medical treatment. And it's not for me to accuse someone of faking medical symptoms. It's not exactly the the best predictor of a good trusting relationship between therapist and patient. So unless a patient or a family is coming to me saying, I have this tendency to, to bend the truth on what symptoms I'm experiencing, I'm unlikely to be confrontational with a patient who, who might or might not be making up physical symptoms they're experiencing. Right. Is, is this one of those things where like it's, you just don't feel like it's your place or your job to do that like specific thing? Well, and I would say not only that, but I am actually more likely to go in the opposite direction. So when I have worked with adolescents, you know, you'll get this sort of like attention seeking behavior, whether that is things like this, like sort of making up stuff to avoid going to school, which is very common, or more serious things, threats of self-harm, threats of dangerous or, or rule or law-breaking behavior. My approach with, with kids and families in this situation is always to take the threats as seriously as you can. Okay. And because what that does, and, and what, his, what Ferris's parents didn't do, is you're saying you're sick and you want to stay home from school, you have to go to the doctor. That is just a point-blank policy. Yeah, if you're going to miss something important, especially with how much you've missed. And you said you have a test today. Yep. So if you have these important things going on, then we need to get you to the doctor and make sure you're okay. That's right. So if I had a, a patient who was claiming that they had thoughts of, of hurting themselves or thoughts that they might use drugs, I would even in some cases take that more seriously than I thought they would because I want to send them the message that I'm not just going to let this go and let you get out of going to school or skipping a therapy appointment. If you're saying you're having thoughts to do this, then I'm going to uh, call your parents or call the right. police. Right. Yeah. If they're if they're threatening, if you threaten your own life or something like you have to act. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's that's the best thing for a therapist can do, because if you show your patient that you're not going to take those things lightly, they are less likely to then make things up because they, they, they're they not going to see you as a person who's going to enable or support that behavior to give them what they want. I guess what I was even wondering more is, has anyone or do you think people, because it feels like in, in the Ferris movie, and I don't know if this is accurate to real life, and I guess that's why I'm asking, is the people that don't believe Ferris feel very isolated, it mm -hmm. seems, they feel angry. I, I see anger, especially in Sister Jeannie. Now, Rooney is just comedically angry and it's hilarious, but but Jeannie seems angry that Ferris is easily believed and she's not taken seriously at all. So have you or do you know people that have dealt with this kind of anger over this specific issue? And how would you go about like helping them through this or or like how do we go about that? Yeah, sure. And And it is anger, I think. The, the symptom that I, I would say more typically see is just sort of exhaustion. So if you get a, a teenager or a person who sort of consistently presents this way, it, it, it does exhaust members of the family who don't just let it go, who don't just accept it. Yeah, they don't just buy into it. Exactly. Not just because of jealousy or because of, of anger, but because it's like you can't just have like a normal uh, family dynamic to sort of our earlier discussion all of the focus always has to be on this person or this problem. And I know, meaning like the sister, that it's not real. So that drives me crazy. I can't, <laughs> I can't just sit back and 
and play along. So it's yeah. just it's that that constant having to sort of decide whether or not to buy into the family's dynamic is exhausting. Okay. So, and I mentioned earlier talking about how I sort of witnessed something that happened. And I was wondering, like, what advice would you give to someone that felt they knew something was going on and no one was hearing them? Like, as far as if, if there was someone that was encountered that they just knew was malingering and, mm. and especially in, like we said, I'm not going to go into it too much, but you know, this involved, there was some money and some things. And I think that this person felt bad for the people that were being ripped off and, oh, sure. and they definitely wanted to prove it. Uh, and this brings kind of a twofold question. So uh, Mr. Rooney, Dean Rooney is kind of the detective. And I I'm wondering if somebody felt like they needed to prove this to happen, like what advice would you give? Should they just let it go? Should they prove this kind of thing is happening or or what? It's a good question, because I think if I had someone like Jeannie in my office, um, let's just say because she is anxious or or depressed or angry as a result of all these things going on, you know, the, the focus would really be on and it's not we don't necessarily call it like ignoring it or letting it go. But can we make a decision on is this something that you want to invest your time in trying to control or intervene with? Or is it something that are you capable of just trying to maintain what to you might be a, a normal relationship in the sense that you don't pay any attention? This is ultimately what Ferris is trying to get is attention. Yeah. If you don't pay any attention to the behavior, perhaps you can normalize what a relationship can be that he doesn't have to act this way to get what he wants. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking again in this situation, and this is online, okay? So malingering from what I've been reading, and like we said, this is for gain in some way, whether emotional, but financial especially happens online a lot. For people that get taken advantage of in this way, monetarily, online, and remember, malingers often get into, you know, they're very charming. They may get into your life and make you, especially online, and make you feel good and that they're this great person and then you find out these things may be happening how would somebody deal with the aftermath of this person they thought was something and then they turned out to be the opposite how what what would we do in that case yeah so it's a really an issue of of broken trust and broken sort of expectations of people that that realization that people could uh, essentially fake these symptoms and fake these stories for either attention sympathy or for financial gain, um, the sort yeah. of nightmare scenario, which what there have been examples of recently, the work would really involve, you know, because I think luckily, happily for me, this is not a super common thing. Yeah. So the work would really be about reestablishing your ability to trust people who claim that they have symptoms and being able to say, okay, you know, even though I've had experiences where people claim they had symptoms and that was fake, that doesn't mean that that's going to happen every time. And that doesn't mean that it's going to happen to me. And that it also doesn't mean that I need to be a victim to these people. I can decide to sort of have boundaries or to have checks that I don't have to be taken advantage of by people that act this way. Okay. Would you think that it would be okay if somebody experienced this to even going forward, like be a bit more skeptical, but 
try to remain open to people that really are honest and not just like throw them into this category, but still it's okay to remain skeptical. Well, yeah, especially online, I think you need a certain amount of skepticism. After we had our conversation, I was researching this sort of phenomenon of people pretending they had different problems, especially in online forums. I do want to mention this this diagnosis, which is not an official diagnosis, but more a recently researched phenomenon, we'll call it, and it's Munchausen by internet. Oh, wow. And the difference between Munchausen's and, and malingering is that we don't typically think of Munchausen's as a person attempting to seek financial or monetary uh, gain. Okay. So Munchausen's is specifically and typically to draw attention, sympathy, or reassurance to themselves. And with Munchausen's, you're more likely to see people actually cause symptoms. So with malingering, you could just fake it as Ferris did. Like he's not actually experiencing any of these symptoms. Yeah, they're avoiding the doctor. Right. Munchausen's, they're sort of common examples of people like you know, lightly poisoning themselves. So they do have symptoms that they can go and show to a doctor or a family member. What? Yeah. yeah. Why? Yeah. Uh, crazy stuff. Yeah, it is. And I, I hate, I hate to use the word crazy, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's because it's so, so out there that people would resort to these methods to have their needs met. Is this new phenomenon that you read about? Is it people that probably feel a little bit more comfortable doing this online rather than to people in their real life. Yeah, exactly right. Because it's easier to, you know, whether it's with anonymity or the ease of access of sort of like medical pages and things like that, ways you can, you know, essentially pretend to have certain symptoms or diagnoses that it's just become more and more feasible for people to do this. There was there definitely a lot there about malingering, and I hope that if anyone needed to hear this uh, about and, and kind of understand why or what about malingerers or people that are Munchausen by online, I hope this does help there. But we're going to take a quick break. We're going to tell you about a really cool podcast, and we'll be right back. A quick break to tell you about the podcast Marvel Therapy Group. Marvel Therapy Group is a group of three Marvel superfans who have vastly different tastes in their Marvel interests. Tune in every Monday to hear Haley, Jack, and Joe debate and discuss topics ranging from Marvel TV, movies, comic arcs, and news. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Marvel Therapy Group and listen on iTunes, Spotify, and the Podbean app. And now back to Pop Psych 101. All right, we are back. And we are on to listener questions. We have now started doing, uh, in the second half of the episode, some listener questions that we have a Facebook group. We announce our episodes early. If you want to join the Facebook group and ask questions that you can have answered on the show, you would simply go to Facebook and search for Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat to join the conversation and get your questions answered. But Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and get started and start answering some of the people's questions. We did have a ton of questions this time. A lot of them got answered just in the top of, of us talking about things, but we have some pretty poignant questions, I think, for, that are going to really work here. Thank you. Thank you, question askers. Thank you, question askers. All right. So first we have CJ and CJ asked two questions and I thought they were both important to ask today. And some of these questions are going to be slightly talked about, but I think these are a little more direct. He says, how does someone go from sympathy seeking in this for looking for ways to capitalize? That's his first question. 
Yeah. So it's a good question. You know, for me, it kind of comes down to almost like behavioral economics, which is that a behavior starts. It might just be like, oh, I kind of have allergies. I don't feel like going to school to the extent that that might be real. And then you find that your parent or, or support system, whomever, really goes heavy on the support. And it's like, ooh, that kind of feels good. I wasn't getting that kind of support before for whatever reason, but now I am. I really like that. I'm going to have to try that again sometime. Hmm. So it goes from this like, oh, like it was cool to, to have people take care of me to like, oh, what else could I get from being sick? Okay. And so in capitalizing, to clarify for CJ, I think is capitalizing in any of the ways. It doesn't have to be money. It can be emotional or, or any of these other ways to capitalize. Absolutely. Okay. So he had another, and I thought this is a really great question. We did talk a little bit about Munchausen's. But he's wondering, CJ, can malingering evolve into Munchausen? Uh, yes, because as malingering, as we said before, does not typically involve someone forcing themselves to be sick or causing themselves to be sick, as it often sometimes does with Munchausen's. So uh, Ferris essentially even says some to the, something to the extent of, I'll have to have a new illness next time, or I'll have to have something you know, even more serious next time. So the reason that that malingering can turn into Munchausen's is that the sort of faked illness of things like seeing spots and clammy hands, that stuff only works for so long to get the same sympathy. So you kind of have to raise the stakes. And to to the point that that you raised before about the people in, you know, Facebook groups or whatever, things like that. Once you've heard a certain story frequently enough, you're going to get bored of that story. You're not going to give that person the same attention or sympathy after a period of time. So they have to raise the stakes. Oh, now this has happened. Oh, no, oh, I wow. can't believe. Yeah, exactly. So by having to raise the stakes, yes, the sort of behavior can evolve from malingering to, to things certainly worse than that. All right. So next up, we have Christine, and she asked a great question. And this one, like I said, this one is just more direct, and it, it's something we kind of went over. But I think this is really direct here. And Christine says... How would Ryan, she's talking directly to you, this is great. How would Ryan recommend addressing this with someone who you suspect is doing this, a child or coworker or employee? So how would someone go about actually talking to this person? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because you kind of have to start off light and to my earlier point, treating the symptoms as if they're real to sort of give the opportunity for the patient to recant or clarify the degree to which they're sick. Because so I'll give you an example. If Ferris's parents had said something like, okay, well, it sounds like you're you're not feeling well. We want to make sure that if you're not feeling well, we we can get you the right kind of treatment. So we're gonna take you to the doctor. Right. So then at that point, he's sort of forced into the position of accepting going to the doctor, knowing that he's not gonna present at the doctor with any symptoms and having to raise the stakes on his lie. Or he could be more honest, which is that he might say, well, honestly, mom, like, I, I don't feel good, but I also know it's not that bad. Part of it is just like, I don't feel like going to school today. And OK, now we have more truth. So let's deal with mm -hmm. that. For with me, you know, if I just make up a patient of someone who is, let's say, constantly complaining of headaches or constantly complaining of stomach pain. And despite, you know, lots of uh, medical evaluation, nothing was essentially shown at a certain point it becomes appropriate as a therapist to say and i would i would upfront 
acknowledge like I'm not questioning the reality that, that you're experiencing. You very well may be in pain, but what would it mean if this pain wasn't real? Yeah. So, so get them thinking about the implications of the possible lie. Because the reality is, you know, for people who, who have this behavior for a long period of time, they sort of convince themselves. And that's, that's a lot of times what this, this, these pain or these chronic fatigue syndrome with this, which is just these people who, and there are forums for it, where people are just tired all the time for, with no explanation. Hmm. So they, it's, it's just hard to call it. Yeah. So they claim that they're always tired and that they can't work and that they can't take care of their kids. And so it's hard to tell someone that that experience is not real. So all you can really do is introduce the possibility, which is why I said, like, what would it mean for you or for your family or for our treatment if this symptom was not real? Like, what implications would that have? Because you want to get them talking about that possibility, not to get them defensive, but just to explore the sort of perception that they have about this symptomatology that they're experiencing. All right. So next question up is Hannah. And her question is... Is it considered malingering when addicts do it to get drugs from doctors? Uh, Yeah. Um, So I'll just preface my answer with yes, but to go into more detail, because this is becoming a more and more bigger problem, especially with things like the opioid crisis, where unfortunately there are lots of doctors out there who are just willing to write you the prescription if you claim back pain or foot pain or headache pain, if that pain is severe enough. The doctors are unlikely to want to put you through a whole bunch of tests to confirm a cause for that pain if they can just write you a prescription and you're happy enough to go on your way. So, so there are a lot of problems with the system. But yes, there is absolutely a common trend where addicts will fake or malinger pain or symptoms they're experiencing in an attempt to get what would essentially be in these cases, you know, legal prescriptions. So if they're a heroin addict, yeah, it's it's easier for them to fake symptoms to get Percocet or Oxycontin. Similarly, on, on lower scales, it's easier for people to, to feign focus issues to get ADHD meds, you know, college students. So this absolutely oh, wow. happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the drug one too, the addict thing, as far as what I'm seeing, I mean, that one seems a little bit more driven by something tangible. Like they have an addiction and they have to feed it as if they're not getting treatment for the addiction. And so the only thing they can do is start malingering. Exactly. Yeah, they, they sort of see themselves as being out of options to which to solve their addiction. Their physical need for yeah, it. Absolutely. And they see that as a way out for sure. Thank you, everyone, for the questions. Uh, there was a ton this week. And uh, so thank you, everyone who did ask a question. But Ryan, I think we had a couple of things that we, we wanted to kind of clean up here in the end that we thought about the Ferris Bueller movie. And I was uh, hoping we could talk about those. Yeah, so we we did talk too much up front about Cameron, and I, I wanted to because of the two characters, you know, in some ways it's alluded to Cameron's mental, possible mental illness struggles as well. At one point, Ferris says about Cameron, he's sick all the time. He feels better when he's sick, which I thought was such an yeah. interesting description. He's is very manipulative and even mean, abusive towards Cameron. He is, yeah. Yeah. It's almost hard to watch when you're coming at it from this perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's this comedy, but you're thinking about it. And there is a scene where Ferris, Cameron's on the phone trying to convince Mr. Rooney to let Sloan out of school early. And he's not doing it the way Ferris wants him to. 
and Ferris attacks him not only physical, physically very slightly, but definitely very much so emotionally and, and hurts his feelings. And I mean, Cameron does call him out, but what really got me was, so Ferris hurts him. Cameron tries to walk away and Ferris stops him. He apologizes and makes him feel better and then immediately turns it back around and then says, well, it was your fault, so you need to fix it and and do this other thing I need you to do. Yep, back to manipulation. Yep. I, I mean, to me, I was just like, that's abuse, you know? So, I mean. 100%. <laughs> and we could do a whole other episode on this about whether or not Ferris is a sociopath. The reason that, that we're not going in that direction is that because he's technically an adolescent, even though he's played by Matthew Butler, clearly in his 20s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that Ferris Bueller is too young to fit the diagnosis for a sociopath. But he does fit a lot of those uh, characteristics, as we mentioned, the sort of charmingness, the manipulation. Oh, wow. The, un- the uncaring nature for-, for people, whether it's putting them in emotional or physical harm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of concerning qualities about Ferris that-, that could lead to him having a very difficult future. Well, this makes me immediately want to do an episode on sociopathy. <laughs> for sure. Okay, so as far as Cameron, and I just wondered if you could speak on him a little bit more because there is a scene towards the end, and if you've seen the movie, I'm sure most of you have, but if you haven't, go watch it. But they Ferris manipulates Cameron into taking his dad's car out for the day. It's a really nice Ferrari, and it ends up, you know, some bad things happen to the car. Too many miles are put on it. Cameron starts worrying. He actually goes into a catatonic state. They have to kind of carry him around town for a while, and they get him back home. I mean... He's upset, and he definitely displays here. He's got some real issues with his dad. He's scared of his dad, but he does go through and he says he's tired of being worried and thinking all the time, and he's tired of, and what got me is he says he's tired of wanting to die all the time. Yeah. And so I'm watching this film as looking at Ferris and malingering, and now I'm just concerned about Cameron to be honest with you. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, His and, character is very serious and, and real when I'm watching it. Yeah, and it's so funny because the license plate of the Ferrari is N-R-V-O-U-S, nervous. Oh, wow. And it's like, it's not Cameron's car. It's obviously a wink of the director was like, yeah, this it might not be Cameron's car, but this is what we want you to remember as you watch this situation happening. And yeah, so when Cameron sort of finds out how many miles are on the Ferrari as they're driving back from Chicago... From from my point of view, he has what is sort of a panic attack, and that's yeah. the catatonic state after that is the sort of aftermath for sometimes for people with panic attacks is that yeah. the panic attack sort of activates them so much. As you mentioned, the catatonic state, he's totally wiped out by it. Well, I, and I just really thought that just at least mentioning the Cameron aspect of this movie, because who knows if we're ever going to get to dive deeper into the... Because, I mean, looking at this and I'm like, wow, that we could have done this like four different ways. We really could have, yeah. And, you know, that just goes to show, I was talking to my wife that, man, they really nailed teens in the 80s. You know what I mean? As far sure. as teen movies. Yep. Yeah, John Hughes and the Brat Pack and just... They really nailed teens. Like I was like, man, Cameron is, it's a really real character. So I, I did like that. And if we're doing scores, which I think we should jump into, I think that should be factored as far as Cameron's character should be factored into the realness. Oh, 100%. All right. So if you haven't heard the show before, Ryan rates on a one to five on accuracy to the diagnosis. And I rate one to five on whether it was a good movie. Uh, Ryan, what are you thinking this time? And what is your, what is your scale? So I, I have to use the scale of Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> so 
So out, out of five Buellers. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. So it's tough because I, I, I have to sort of differentiate what exactly I'm trying to identify as accurate. There's the Cameron aspect of, you know, how real is, is his symptomatology. And then there's mm-hmm. the Ferris stuff that we talked about with malingering, right. all that stuff. So, right. So if this is presented correctly, just because it's a comedy doesn't mean that they didn't nail the stuff we're talking about. Right. Exactly right. And that's why I found very little fault with this. Huh. The only thing I think I really struggled with, and that's where I started to make up this theory of like, why is this so weird? <laughs> is the like parental response didn't feel totally authentic. And the yeah. sort of um, the school's response felt super exaggerated. Right. So to that extent, I gave it a four. Four Bueller's, four out of five Bueller's. Four Bueller's. Bueller's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do want to mention right here, so you rate it four out of five Bueller's. So something interesting of note with this movie, John Hughes, the director and the person who wrote the screenplay, he wrote this in a week. Yeah. So that goes to show that this is probably being pulled on something real for John Hughes, maybe. And and I think to that extent, like, don't we all kind of know those charming kids from high school who felt like they could get away with anything? Yeah. Like, I think that's a relatable character trope. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's also why, like, I think for me, like watching it when I did, probably as a high schooler, Ferris Bueller was the coolest. He was. Oh my yeah. God. Like, I love Ferris. He's hilarious. You don't even really pick up on the like the manipulative stuff. It's just, oh yeah, they have this like funny friend back and forth thing where they tease each other and convince each other to do stuff. Yeah. But now watching it. Cameron, you're such a funny guy. Yeah, exactly. But now watching it <laughs> as an adult and a dad, it's, man, screw you, Ferris Bueller. Like, be nicer yeah, to your you- friends. And if I were your parent. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be grounded a lot, man. <laughs> Something. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go ahead and rate this, and I always do stars on one to five of how much I like this movie. Okay, I'm just going to make this one easy. It's Ferris Bueller, man. This movie's great. So I got it a five. It's a, it's hilarious. I was laughing all the way through the scene with Ben Stein when he is doing the Bueller, Bueller, and then they go through and he's just given the history lesson and talking about tariffs <laughs> and all the kids, <laughs> the kids or eyes are just getting like more bloodshot yep, glazed and their over. lips are, yeah, their lips are like drying out because they've been open mouth for so long. Yeah. Uh, hilarious movie. Great comedy. Totally a five for me. Fantastic. Well, well, well-deserved to John Hughes and, and Matthew Broderick. Great work all around. Yep. All right, guys. So that's going to be it for today. We're going to have to get out of here. I just want to thank all the listeners for the questions that they asked. Like I said, if you guys want to join the conversation and ask questions, go to, go to Facebook and search Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat so you can ask questions and get them answered on the air. And as usual, Ryan, thank you so much for letting me come and talk to you every week. Thank you, sir. The blast. Oh, yeah. Okay, so finally, we did a straight comedy and hopefully struck a good balance between serious and light in this episode. There are still some important takeaways, though, for anyone struggling with mental illness or supporting someone with these issues. First of all, and I can't emphasize this enough, if your friend or family member is complaining about or just reporting physical illness or injury symptoms, it's okay and even appropriate to take them seriously at first. Assuming someone is faking their symptoms can be just as dangerous as enabling their possible fake symptoms. Encourage that they seek medical care and then maintain whatever boundaries with that person you need to. 
Secondly, if by any chance you are consistently or just casually faking illness or injury like Ferris Bueller is, know that your actions may have more serious consequences than you know. What might seem like an innocent escape from work or school could have far-reaching impacts on your loved ones, and you're much better off getting your needs met through honest emotional expression. Finally, even though this movie is played for comedy, in all likelihood Ferris Bueller is a future sociopath, and his manipulative and borderline abusive treatment closest friend, Cameron, is unacceptable. If you have a friend like Ferris who treats you this way, you should not accept it. Okay, now the parent, therapist, and me can relax. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you, as always, to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and YouTube at PopPsych101. We are specifically on YouTube for our fans who may be hard of hearing. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.